Oh, I can't see anybody. It's like, uh, all right, well, that's good because I was nervous by looking at you, so that's, that's good. I like that. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Thank you. Well, how, how awesome are your pastors, by the way? Just as a, a, just as a little side note, um, oh, we love them. We love hanging out with them, and it's been great getting to know you guys and getting to know you as well, which is, which is fun. Uh, I actually brought my wife with me, and she actually, she actually has a, an interpretive dance item that, uh, that she would like to present, uh, but I just told her we didn't have enough time for it tonight, so make sure you come back in the morning, you'll, you'll be able to see that. No, actually, Karen, why don't you just stand up and say hello to everybody? If you know Karen, you'll know that she actually hates me doing that, and I'm in big trouble. But it is our 20th anniversary on Friday, so depending on how well I behave this weekend, I think we're going to make it. Uh, we might get there. We might get there. Um, uh, it's, it's, it is, honestly, it's great to be here. Love seeing the church grow and just really praying and believing for God to really speak to you. Um, I've, I've got a leadership message tonight. I hope that's okay. Um, the title of the message is, What Am I Doing? What am I doing? Um, you know, it's a question I often ask myself. I get easily distracted, um, especially when you're working on a computer or a phone and then notifications pop up and you, all of a sudden, you know, you're checking out the golf score or something like that and then you're like, what am I doing? It's a, it's a question that you find people lead with when they meet you. They say... What do you do? Um, it's one of those questions that depending on what you do will determine how you'll answer that question. Um, and so often, how you answer that question will determine the length of the conversation. If you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, if, you know, uh, what do you do? Uh, and if it's something very boring or that they're not really interested in, then they're going to move on to the next person to find out what they do. And, and de depending on how you answer that question can determine how much you, you, you interact with people. And, and, and so much of people's initial judgment on you as a person is based on what we do. And uh, I, I, think, um, I think what I do isn't what my job title is. What I do is I do what God's called me to do. You know, and it, it might outwork itself into my job title. It may not. You may never have a job title that's reflective of what God's called you to do. That might just be your function, but that's not your, what your job is. 40 hours of, of your week or however many hours that is, is not what you do and shouldn't define who you are. I, um, I was hosting a guest speaker uh, who'd come to speak at our church and, you know, Pastor Brian was out of town, so he'd asked me, hey, would you, would you mind just turning the lights up a little bit? I'd just like to see faces, see if I'm upsetting people. I want to know who to avoid on the way to the gift bag line. Um, I'll be at the front of that, I can tell you. Um, but, you know, I was having lunch with, with, uh, with the speaker and I'd brought one of my team along because, you know, when you don't know someone, you're never really sure how the conversation's going to go, so it's always to have, good to have a wingman, right? So, you know, we're, we're sitting down at lunch and it became very apparent that this person wasn't interested in me, 
but he was very interested in the guy that I'd brought along, which was fine because I got to answer a few emails and those kind of things during the lunch. <laughs> Pretty much a win-win situation. But he kept on asking questions of the guy that was, that was with me that he had no clue about and that I knew the answer to, but because I wasn't being asked, I just was happy to just kind of let, let it go through to the keeper, as we say, or to the catcher, and, uh, and, and just kind of play along with the whole charade of I'm not important enough to be involved in this conversation, so I'll just, you know, pretend I'm not here. Now, that's actually one of my favourite places to be, so don't, don't feel sorry for me. Um, halfway through the conversation, I went up to go to the bathroom, and when I came back, it was very apparent that there'd been a conversation informing the said speaker or, or guest that, um, you know, I was important. In other words, he'd been read my job title because I wasn't important before bathroom break. Now, after bathroom break, I was very important. And all of a sudden, my friend became the silent partner in this conversation and I was being peppered with questions, much to my frustration. I would much preferred the first half of the lunch. That pastor was actually your pastor. Uh, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's so easy to get pigeonholed based on what you do or based on what other people's perception of, of you is. And, and I, for me personally, I don't want to be appreciated or recognized for what my job title says. I, I want to I do what God's called me to do and I want to give the glory to God. So, so when it comes to my life, when you say to me, what do I do? I would encourage you to stick around long enough and you'll see. See, if you, if, if, if you want to know what I do, just watch how I behave and watch how I react to people and how I interact with people and you'll actually realize that what I do isn't my job title but what I do is what God's called me to do which is to reach people and to build his kingdom. Um, so my question to you is what do you do? What do you do? Not your job title but what do you do? We, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, there, there's a, the, the story or the, how it goes in, in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, and, and one of the, or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? You know, it's interesting, this is a totally different message and I'm not going to camp here, but it's interesting that Jesus was being compared to other men. You know, when when people try to explain who you are, quite often it can be, oh, he's like that person or he's like this person. And and, and when we we want to do something big with our life, we want to be our own person. We, We don't have to be compared to someone else or to this person or to that person. But even it, it, it helps me to know that even Jesus was being compared to Moses or Elijah or one of the prophets. They, they had no words. The people had no words to say what Jesus was looking for because they were too busy trying to compare him to people in history. You are this or you are that. You're like the modern day this or the modern day that. No, 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 no. I am me. If you want to know what I do, stick around, watch, you'll see what I do. I, I, um, you know, but, but Peter answers and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says this to him. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. 
Just, just rounding out that thought of comparison of Jesus being compared to other people, when, when Peter says to him, you are the son of the living God, Jesus says to him, that's who I am. And there's no way in the world that you could have known that through your own fleshly knowledge or wisdom. The only way that you would know who I am is by the, by the Spirit of God, by my Father who is in heaven speaking into you. So isn't that funny? We, we spend our life trying to get the acceptance of people or be approved by people or you know, be compared to someone else and found shining. And Jesus is saying even himself, the only way that somebody could know that he was the Son of God was because God spoke to him. So there you go. That's for free. I'm not going to charge you for that one. Um, if you want to know who you are, just listen to God. Don't listen to what you're being compared to. Don't listen to what other people are saying about you. Don't listen to what the gossip vine is saying or how people try and compartmentalize who you are because who you are is unique, it's different, and nobody else has ever been born the same. Nobody else ever will be born the same. Who you are is who God says you are. The, um, the passage goes on and it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should go and tell nobody that he was the Christ. So the first thing that that we're doing, what we're supposed to be doing, if if you want to know as leaders, as church leaders, what we're doing when we're building the church is exactly that. We are building his church. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church. So he's talking about Peter having the church built on him. He wasn't, talking, he wasn't talking about Peter having the church built on him as a person. He was telling Peter that build the church on the rock that is Jesus. See, so often when we think about what is building the church, we think about the fruit of what building the church is. We think about there's more people in church. We've got bigger budgets in church. We've got a better building in church. We've got a beautiful LED screen in church. We're, we're, we're building the church. We're, we're, we think that if we're not careful, we can be so distracted with doing what we think building the church is that we actually forget what building the church actually is. See, we're not trying to get people to do stuff. We're trying to build the lives of the people in our church. We're not trying to get them to do stuff. We're trying to help people fulfill the call of God on their lives. See, as leaders, there's going to be times where you need people to help you with your team. The, the, the first mistake that we can make is we, we try and get people to fill that gap, maybe sometimes even the wrong person. Oh, come and fill this gap or come and fill this gap, rather than actually what does this person need? As leaders, our role isn't to use people for what we need them to do, but actually to work out how to help them fulfill the call of God on their lives. Um, we're not building our own ministry. We're building the people of our church. It's not about your opportunity. It's not about your next step. It's not about, see, here's what happens. People focus on their opportunity or their next step or their promotion or, or, or maybe for some coming on staff, whatever that might look like. But, but, but that's the wrong focus. The focus is about building the people. The focus is actually building the people that that God has entrusted you with. And sometimes that may lead to growth or more opportunity or those kind of things, but big picture, that's not our focus. Um, We're building an atmosphere that welcomes people and doesn't repel people. You know, that's so key. Um, 
in church life, it, it, what happens is if you don't get visitors much or if people don't, you know, if, we, if people don't invite their friends, you can get insular and you can start to build this atmosphere that makes you feel comfortable and that's the priority. So when change happens or we move the seats back or we change the, the, the configuration or we do things differently or we don't sing this song anymore, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's, it's about my experience. It's, it's about me rather than it being about an atmosphere that's going to welcome other people into the church. We're building a community that engages people and doesn't take people for granted. Here's one of the things I love telling leaders is there's not one person in your church who has to come to church, except for the pastor. We're the only ones that have to come. People who are on staff. Everyone else is there because they want to be there. Everyone else is there because they want to, want to meet God. They want to be embraced. They want to you know, have this experience. They, they want to have this... That, that's what building a community is about. It, it's engaging with people, not just assuming that they're going to be there forever and taking them for granted. And, and you know as awesome as your pastors are, and I, and I watch him, you know, during baptisms, connecting with people, and I watch him in the foyers, and I watch him just talking to people, as awesome as they are, they can't do it for everybody. So we have to carry that. We have to make sure that we build a community that welcomes people. That's, that's on us. If, if someone's like, hey, oh, I, don't, I don't want to go to that church anymore, the pastor won't talk to me, it's because we're not doing our job. It's because we're not actually being the community that God has actually called us to be. We're building a room where babies will be raised under the word, where, where youth will be discipled, where young adults will be reached, where parents and adults will encounter Jesus, where the poorest of the poor can feel at home, where the richest of the rich can find their place of worship, where every person within the reach, the geographical reach of our church can touch God. So what do I do? I, I build the church. That's what we do. Whenever I see people get distracted from this, it, it never ends well. It starts with small things, like as a leader or a volunteer, we get disappointed when people let us down, and we decide we disengage from them. Small things. You know, Jesus gives us, we, we say he's the God of the second chance, he's the God of the millionth chance. So if he's the God of the millionth chance, where am I in that spectrum? Am I like the God, of, am I the leader of the third chance? Three strikes, you're out. Am I, am I the leader of the fourth chance? Four strikes, you're out. I'm somewhere in the spectrum between where God is and where this person is. So I've got to get on page with God's plan for people. I've got to actually understand people might let you down. People might do the wrong thing. People might not show up. But that doesn't mean we disengage from them. When, when, we, when we as staff or volunteers get, and, staff and, and volunteers get offended or we feel misunderstood, that's when all of a sudden we lose our focus of building the church and we're focused on our own pain. Here's, here's the thing, and, and I'll say this to leaders because you're leaders, you will be offended at some point, probably this weekend while I'm speaking at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> Australians, we have a tender, tendency to do that. You will probably be misunderstood at some point in the journey, but that's not going to stop you from doing what God's called you to do, surely. We build His church. When we get offended... We get over it, we build his church. When we feel misunderstood, we get over it, we build his church. What do we do? We build his church. When we allow our feelings to get involved in what God's called us to do. Oh, you know what? I don't feel like serving anymore. Oh, I don't feel like praying anymore. I don't feel like 
helping people anymore. All of a sudden, our feelings start to dictate to us as leaders. Here's what a leader does. A leader says, I'm going to push through the feelings. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm just going to push through those. I think um, if we just stay focused on others, make a decision, we're going to be unoffendable. Put our faith in God, not in people. Don't expect our leaders to fulfill our voids. You know, um, we can all be guilty of that. I I lacked a strong father figure in my life, so for for years I was expecting my leaders to fill that void. It's not our leader's responsibility to fill our voids. It's 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 our responsibility to go with God and get our voids filled. And we come to church as leaders and we're full. We're ready to give. We're ready to serve. We're not there going... Hey, uh, you didn't notice me? Um, You didn't thank me? Did you notice that guitar solo I did? You didn't even say anything about that? I was doing air guitar down here and not one person congratulated me on my skills. I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. Um, But our leader's job isn't to fill our voids. That's, That's our job to actually go after God. And and we take the condition, take responsibility for the condition of our heart daily. All right, so the first thing is he said to him, we, on this rock I will build my church. We're building his church. The second thing is, I believe we're called to reach lost people. This is very basic, okay? This is a reminder. We're called to reach lost people and bring the gospel to them. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, let's go and find and reach people who need to know about the message. Let's, let's go get them. They're, he's talking to people who have, this is talking about people who have sure salvation that regardless of what the Jewish scriptures and customs had said, that the gospel was for everybody. He, he's talking to his disciples and, and their, their point of reference is custom. Their, their point of res, reference is, is culture and you had to live a certain life. You had to keep a certain set of rules to be, to be able to be reached. And he's saying this message is for everybody. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. One, I think one of the most important things that we do is bring the gospel to people. I think if we're not careful, we can get good at being friends with people who aren't of faith or being friends with people who don't know Jesus, but we can forget the part where he's the only one that can change their life. Me being friends with 100 people who don't know Jesus, that's not going to change their life even one bit, other than they've got a nice Australian friend who probably feeds them, because that's what I do with my friends. But other than that, big picture, I can't help them. I can't change their life. The only way I can help a person's life change is by introducing them to Jesus. So, so what do I do? I, I build the church, I, I reach the lost, and I bring the gospel to them. Um, we, we, we should never get so busy doing all the other stuff that we forget to actually bring the gospel to people. Yeah, we want to help people. We want to reach out to people who, who are in need. We want to do everything we can to be of assistance to people. But if it doesn't come with the gospel hand in hand, then we're missing the whole point. I, uh, I remember the first time that I heard the gospel. I, uh, I was at a, a thing called schoolies, we call it in Australia. It's, it's when you finish school, high school, and you go on, I think you call it spring break. Is that like where you go wild? Yeah, I was there to do exactly that. Um, I became a Christian when I was 20, so don't worry, I wasn't backsliding. I just hadn't met Jesus yet. <laughs> so I went to schoolies and I had fun. 
I was in this um, bar, and as per normal for me at that point in my life, I'd got into a fist fight with somebody, and um, I think I won that one, but I lost the one the night before, so it was about evens for the, for the week, and I got carried out by the bouncers and told, you know, not to come back. So this was before mobile phones, you know, showing my age here. So I'm trying to get my friends to come out and, you know, come on, come on, let's go somewhere else. And I, w I was able to get a message into one of them through one of the bouncers by being nice to him. And he, he said he came back, he says, no, you can, you can, I can't remember what he said, but it was rude. <laughs> I can remember, but I'm not going to say it. So I don't want to offend anybody, you see. I'm a good boy now. Um, so I'm out there, I'm on my own, I'm sitting on a bench seat, you know, two o'clock in the morning, and this guy comes up and sits down next to me, and he says, hi, I'm such and such, can't remember his name. I says, okay, that's nice, there's a hundred other bench seats here, mate, like, why'd you have to sit next to me? He says, oh, because I wanted to talk to you. And I thought, well, you know, he's only human, I'm a good-looking guy, um... <laughs> you know and so I said to him well what do you want he goes oh nothing and I asked him this question I said what do you do he says well actually he says I'm an evangelist and uh, I'm, I work for YWAM now if you want to know my level of understanding of that statement at that point in my life you might as well have said to me <laughs> I didn't understand what that meant I didn't know what an evangelist was um, if you're here and you don't know what that is, that's somebody who tells people about Jesus. That's what they feel like their life's calling is. So he was an evangelist and, and he worked with YWAM, which was Youth with a Mission, which he explained to me. And uh, I said to him, so what are you talking to me for? He goes, well, I just thought you looked alone. thought I'd just talk to you. And I remember my grandfather once told me, if someone tries to preach to you, just tell them this. I, I don't mind talking to you about the footy. I don't mind talking to you about sport, but I'm not going to talk to you about religion or politics. So that's what I said to him. And uh, he goes, okay, what sport do you like? I said, oh, I like rugby. And so he was like a rugby enthusiast. And so he, we sat there for two hours talking about rugby. Here's the thing that happened, though. Number one, from about the 30-minute mark, I'm crying out on the inside going, please tell me about Jesus. Please tell me about Jesus. But I didn't have the courage to actually say to him, please tell me about Jesus. So this is, this is going on. The whole time he's talking to me, I'm just feeling like this guy's got to tell me a message. This guy's got to tell me a message. I'd never heard the gospel in a clear and concise way until that point. And anyway, a couple of hours later, my, bro my brother and, his, and some of my friends came out and I realized that my time with this guy was coming to an end. And I said to him, hey, um, would you mind telling me about Jesus? And this guy sat there after talking to me about football for two hours and shared the gospel with me in about 30 seconds. And to this, from that day to this, I never forgot it. Planted a seed on the inside of my life. Planted something in there. It, never, it didn't bring a harvest till another three, three years later. But I tell you, I, that message that, that night prepared me for when I actually did respond to Jesus. It's awesome. I ask myself the question quite often, would I have made it to the two-hour mark? Would I have been a good enough follower of Jesus to actually have talked to me 
about Jesus? Would I have made the two-hour mark? Would you make the two-hour mark? You know, um, I, I love hearing stories about pastors on planes. You know, pastors have always got stories about how they shared their faith with someone on a plane. And I, I commend them for such things. I put my headphones on. I ain't talking to anybody <laughs> on a plane. I'm watching movies. I've downloaded my Netflix and I'm all systems go. But you know why it's so often? It's because it's the only time that we actually stop long enough and sit down with somebody that we don't know and put ourselves into the position where we actually are in a, in, in a, in a position to talk to people about Jesus. All of us have to find a way to make sure that we're not just, build, we're not just doing church, we're not just attending church, we're not just volunteering on team, but we're bringing the gospel to lost people. The, the third thing that, that we do is we're sharing the keys to the kingdom. He says, and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You know, up until this time, the keys to the kingdom were being held by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they weren't available to the Gentiles. This was qualifying them to open the sealed book of the gospel, unlock the mysteries of it to both Jews and Gentiles, especially to the Gentiles. See, there was, this, there was, there was a certain group of people, educated people, well-to-do people, who were able to access the keys to the kingdom. And Jesus was saying, actually very controversially, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. We're, we're, going, to, we're, going, to take this thing, we're going to take this thing viral. We're, we're giving the keys to the kingdom to the people. I think one of our jobs is to make sure that everyone understands that they're welcome, that they're welcome in the kingdom, but that God, not only welcome, but that God actually has a place for them and has a set of keys cut for them. It's actually our job to make sure that others realize that they have a place. You know, we, we sing these songs, you know, you love me as you find me, and, and, and that's all great, but then somewhere in the journey, <laughs> a whole bunch of rules come into play. It's like, yeah, yeah, I love you as I find you, but I'm not going to keep loving you unless you change. Of course. We're giving people the keys to the kingdom. I, I, I think it's easy. You know, I, I think it's easy in, in word to do, but it's not necessarily easy in deed. Everyone's got a place. Everyone's got a role to play. Everyone can be included. I think... Sometimes in, in, the, in the pressure to get the job done, we, we tell people, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. And we never actually stop to give them the keys. We're just teaching them how to be robots. We'll just do what I do, do what they do, do what he does. I'm not sure, just do this, this is what I do. But we've got to give people the keys so that they can unlock God's plan and purpose for their lives. We've got to help them, we've got to tell them why. I remember growing up saying to my dad, you know, my dad say, don't do that. I'd say, why? He'd say, don't ask me why. I'm like, but I, I, I'm not trying to be rude. I just want to know why so I can learn from this situation, you know. Why? Because I said so. Yeah, I know you said so, and I'm going to do it, but can you tell me why I do it so that when I'm doing it, I know why I'm doing it? Like, the, the, it's, it's so funny. We, we, we all know the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We all know it, right? We can all rattle it off and... You know, in certain settings, um, you know, people kind of mumble it, you know. Use his dad, Ali, brother. Forgive us. You know, it's, it's so interesting to me that Jesus says to, to him, when you pray, 
Don't pray in vain repetition, as the Pharisees do, but instead pray like this. And then our response is we turn that prayer into a vain repetition. Do you understand? It's like, no. Jesus was trying to give them a key. He's trying to say to them, here's how to pray. Just pray from your heart. And then he prays something from his heart. He wasn't reading like a, a scroll saying, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. He was just saying, pray like me, which is just from my heart. But for some reason, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves just form and, and, and structure. And that's not what it's about. It's about actually giving people the keys to the kingdom so they can feel like they've got something that they can add. You know, I think we, we don't use and abuse people. We empower and release people. Our job is to empower you and release you. We, we don't make people jump through hoops. We jump through hoops for people. We, we aren't elitist. We don't run in cliques. We're inclusive and embracing. We, we include people. We embrace people. We, we aren't one step removed from, from people. We're called to serve the people. Um, and, and here's the thing. The mistake sometimes we make is we want to serve people how we want to serve people. But people, want us, people need to be served how they need to be served, not how we want to serve them. Oh, we don't do this here. Um. You know, we had uh, some security issues in our church in LA and so one of the things is that we have metal detectors so as people come through, you know, they, they get and everyone's happy about it because everyone knows the world that we live in and the times that we live in and it's fine except we have this ministry to people who, who um, don't have a place to live at the moment so when they come to church, they come with their belongings everything they own I don't know about you but I don't want somebody looking at everything I own and I live, if I was to live, you know, in a, on a street environment, I'd probably have something in that bag that would protect me in those situations. And so, you know, there's that issue as well. And, you know, we're saying, well, this is how, we, this is how we're serving the, the big picture of our church. And, and, and I'm saying, no, no, we've got to serve these people how they need to be served. Let's work a way forward. Let's, let's work out a way so that that kind of person can still be a part of our church. We can still tick the security boxes, but we serve people how people need to be served so now they've got their own lockers with a key and everything's cool they're happy and they know it and they, and they go through the VIP entrance if there's such a thing in the kingdom we aren't tight fisted with revelation that stretches people we're bold and generous with kingdom principles that are going to change a person's life you know, my example with this is, um, for example, let's just say take tithing. Tithing for me has financially and spiritually changed my life. Actually set me free, free from a bondage of money. Set me free from, you know, not that, just that constant thought of not honoring God all the time. Just, just it break, broke so much in my life, but it actually set me free. But the problem is because it's money, and people love money so much, we're scared to talk to people about the power of tithing. That's what our responsibility is, though. Like, imagine if you could tell somebody that doesn't know how to breathe, if all you've got to do is just inhale. If you inhale, you're going to be fine. You're going to, you, this, is going to, this is going to help you. Now, as, they, as, they, as 
as we start to give people these, these, these kingdom principles that are going to change their life, and we're not so bound up by, oh, this is an awkward conversation. I mean, that's what our job is as leaders. And the last one is, sorry, my time is done. The last one is we're squashing religious practices. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The disciples bound and loosed. This was talking about how they had the authority to say yes or no to customs. That they'd taken over the way God, that old customs that had taken over the way that God, had, God was viewed. So you've got to remember, it's a very religious time. It's a very, you know, controlled time, scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus is saying to these disciples, whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. So what he's saying is, let's take the power back off the power brokers and let's actually set people free from the power of religion and let's actually let them know that, that God is far greater than these rules. So the, so the disciples then, you know, the disciples then started doing that. In Galatians 5, they bound and forbid the observance of days, months and times and years. They, they stopped keeping holy days, new moons, Sabbaths, all these things. In, in Acts 10, they loosed or declared lawful both civil and religious conversations between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles. They actually said, you know, there was a law in place that said Jews couldn't talk to Gentiles. They couldn't share their faith with Gentiles. But, but the disciples, they loosed that. They said, that's an old way of thinking, a wrong way of thinking. This is not what the kingdom's about. We're going to loose some stuff here. They also loosed or pronounced lawful the eating of any kind of food without distinction. Um, they, they said that there's nothing unclean of itself and that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink or that true religion doesn't lie in the observance of those things. That, the, that every creature of God is good and fit for food. There's, there, there was this whole custom that was like, you can't eat that because God wouldn't want you to. You can't eat that because God would, wouldn't, wouldn't want you to. And there's, you know, religion had become about all these rules. And the disciples' jobs was to go, these rules aren't even related to God. They're man's version of, of, of religion and they no longer have the power to, to, to stop a person from being connected to God or not connected to God. Imagine if not honoring the Sabbath or eating a certain type of food could disconnect you from God. That's what we're talking about. And so he's saying to the disciples, this is enough is enough is enough. There's these rules that you've got. There's these things that you think. There's these stuff that you've been brought up with. We want to take a fresh look at everything and we want to say, just help people find the kingdom. I remember the first time I actually got to tell my brother about Jesus. He was an alcoholic. He was, I'd been a Christian for 18 years and he was so riddled with guilt and everything and he'd watched my life change. And so he'd associated being a Christian with the things that I didn't do anymore. You understand what I'm saying? So I used to live this way, nothing to be proud of. Jesus became real in my life. Nobody told me I couldn't do those things anymore. But because the Holy Spirit came inside of me, I stopped doing those things because I didn't even desire to do those things anymore because I desired to know God and to pursue Him. So he's looking at my life and he's saying, yeah, but if I do become a Christian, I've got to stop doing that. I've got to stop doing that. I've got to stop doing that. And, and how many people know without God, you can't stop doing that, 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 and that. 
So I looked him in the eye and I said this to him. I said, if I was to tell you that you don't have to change anything, just keep drinking 57 cans of beer a day, keep driving your car drunk, keep swearing at your kids and your wife, keep doing all these things, but just say yes to Jesus, accept him into your life as your Lord and Saviour, ask him to forgive you, and then have every intention of continuing to do all those things that you still do, would that be something that you would say yes to? And he looks at me back with tears rolling down his face and he says, I could buy into something like that. You see, the rules were what was separating him from the grace. But to embrace Jesus, we've got to understand that the grace is going to be the very thing that is going to set him free from the things that are holding him back from accepting the grace. And so often, the, you know, the disciples, they're battle, battling with this in the time because, you know, all the Jews and the people who've, who've spent their whole life keeping these laws so that they can be in touch with God, they don't want to let that go because they're, the, they're part of the in crowd. They've done all the right things. They've behaved in all the right way. And then we, we find it ourselves when we see somebody step up on stage and we think, oh, that guy's not really a man of God. I saw him doing this last week, or I saw that last week, or I saw this, or, you know, that, oh, they're supposed to be a woman of God and they're wearing this, you know. And, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves back there, like using our own mental position on grace to define somebody else's walk. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to build his church. We're called to reach lost people. We're called to share the keys to the kingdom. And we're called to squash religious practices. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every single person here. Lord, people that love you enough to say on a Saturday night they want to come and just learn a little bit more about your plan, your purpose for their lives, your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for your grace, your awesome grace on every one of us. Lord, I couldn't stand here for one second if it weren't for your grace. Lord, all of us, all of us, Lord, let us be a pure reflection of the grace of Jesus Christ. Let us not be known for what our job title is, but let us know for what we do to help people to find you. I just pray, I pray for a renewed passion, a renewed spirit inside all of us that would help us to realize, God, that we could change a person's life by simply changing our own mind, changing the way that we would talk to somebody, changing the way that we would look at somebody, changing our judgment, changing our judgmentalism, that we could actually reach a person for you. I don't know everybody here, and I know this is a leader's night, but one of the things that I never want to do is to assume on everybody's salvation. So I'm going to just take one more minute. If, I, if you could just... Stay in an attitude of prayer. If you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus, if you've never given ownership of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm standing here talking to you about leaders and a leadership and how we as leaders in the church should operate. And you're standing there on the outside looking in, thinking to yourself, well, I don't really know Jesus. Well, I want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call anyone down the front, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand and say, yep, that's me. And what I'm going to do then is I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer that's inviting Jesus Christ in as your Lord and your Savior. It's a prayer of asking Him to forgive you from everything that you've done wrong. It's a, it's a prayer that is committing and dedicating yourself to being 
somebody who lives and, and, and walks out that decision. If you're here today and you'd say, hey, I haven't prayed that prayer. Or maybe you prayed that prayer a long time ago, but the truth is you're backslidden. You want to say it again. I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand. I'm going to acknowledge it, and then I'm going to put it back down, and we'll pray right where you're sitting, okay? You ready? One, two, three. If that's you, just slip up your hand. pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I ask you to come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me for everything I've done wrong. And I repent of those things. I want to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.